Life is a numbers game. The more doors you knock on, the more possibilities you get, the more conversations you have, the more awareness you can have. Welcome to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. This week, I speak to Ashley Stahl. She's a career coach and an author, a writer. She wrote the book U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. I loved this conversation with Ashley. We were connected by a mutual friend and we spoke about integrity, connection, guilt, shame, boundaries, job hunting, making money, and she lost all of her money. She worked at the Pentagon. We talk about non-attachment, friendship, being friends with people in different ages. We talk about rushing and quitting rushing, being people with what we call rushing problems. (laughs) I loved getting to connect with her. And this is actually part two of a podcast where I was the guest on her show, which also came out this week. So if you're listening to this the week it came out, My episode on her podcast is also out and we'll link to it. I'm going to get to it as quickly as possible, but I'm so happy you're here. If you're new here, welcome. I talk to interesting people about whatever comes up. It's an organic conversation. We talk about habits and routines, creativity, connection, anything I'm really interested in. And I really enjoyed talking to Ashley. I hope you like this episode as well. A couple quick housekeeping things. If you still want to join my workshop, if you like this podcast, you'll love the workshop. It started this week, but there's still time to join until the end of this week. I'll officially cut it off. It's called In Process. The link will be in the show notes and I'll talk to you at the end of the episode. Ashley, I'm so happy that you're here. This is our second hour of talking because I just did your podcast and I'm so happy that I get to keep talking to you and I get to be the one asking the questions because I'm curious about so much about you. Uh, Thank you for having me. And just having had that conversation on my show with you, I was like really tuning into how the the heart of what you really share to me felt like about self-discovery, you know, like Mm. journaling and heartache and creativity. It's all self-discovery, isn't it? In in some way. Totally. And and so that's my favorite thing to talk about as it relates to your Mm. career. And so I'm I'm just so excited to hear what your perspectives are on everything I, I think. Ooh, yeah. Dude, same. I'm so excited to get to know you more. We connected through our mutual friend, Libby, who Libby's got to do the show at some point, but my friend Libby Crow connected us, I think years ago. And we have been trying to get this on our calendars. We were saying, you know, when I did your show for, for literally months, like maybe a year. Yeah. I (laughs) know we did it. Here we are. And both of us had like things happening today, but we both were like, we have rescheduled this too many times. No more. (laughs) So I'm so happy that we both are here and we're doing it. And yeah, it's going to be great. So I always love to start in the present. So what has been coming up for you today? Like this week, this this year, like what are some lessons that you've been learning or some Mm -hmm. things you've been, you know, thinking about really recently? 
You know, what's interesting, I just recorded a little solo cast episode that I, I rarely do those. And what was coming up this past weekend was about the little things. And, you know, far too often you hear mixed messages, especially when it comes to relationships of any sort, romantic or friendship, where some people say it's all about the little things. And then other people say it's all about the big things. Like you need to be on the same page about the big things. And I was having some perspective this weekend when a friend of mine was talking about how she's always dehydrated and she was in a hotel and it was, you know how it's like expensive hotel water and you have to like mm. go miles to get another water bottle for a regular price. So yeah, yeah. she drank the fancy hotel, like she started drinking it and her partner drank the whole thing. And then she opened up another one and he drank the whole thing. And we oh. had this conversation. Oh, I don't know why that's like making me emotional to hear. <laughs> I know it. We just talked about the little things and like how it really is about the little things. It's about generosity. It's about intention. And it's about how, who we are gets infused into these little micro moments that say so much about who we are and how we think. It got me thinking a lot about what are the little things that I do that show people who I am and show me who I am. And so, yeah, that's, that's been one thing on my mind. I, I, I guess you probably didn't think I was going to be that straight into this, but truly I thought about that a lot this past weekend. Yeah. Oh God. I love that so much actually, because I've been thinking, this has been coming up a lot for me recently too. Like I, I was just with some friends before I came over here and there are two people who are so creative, so inspiring. And I was over there cause I um, was stealing AC air conditioning. And I think there's like, they are really present with what they're doing. There's an intentionality behind everything from like what they wear to how they speak. And like one of my friends, like it, it feels like she's like constantly in like a French new wave film, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's like this presence that comes with that. And like what, what you were saying about your friend, it's like, you know, I think a lot about codependency and, and, you know, I, I go to Al-Anon and I like really like am working on this stuff in myself because what happened with your friend and the water bottles is like so indicative of like what so many of us do, like, especially as women of like giving away everything or not even meaning to, or like trying to like shrink to, to not be enough, you know, yeah. and because we don't feel like we're enough. So we shrink even smaller and there's just such a sadness. Like I'm actually yeah. getting emotional because, oh my God, hi, I'm crying. Um, <laughs> I was just with my mom and I saw her like, just take the leftovers, just like, give it all away, give it all away, give it all away. And I don't think that that's what we're taught even subconsciously so much as women, unless like you have better models. But for a lot of us, I think that's what we're taught. And there's just like a bleakness and a sadness to that because it is those tiny moments. It is someone showing up for you. It is someone texting you back. It is someone like being earnest and not aloof and not playing games. And it's, it's all of it. Right. Yeah. And I think, Oh God, I just, I feel for your friend. Did your friend then like speak up and talk to her husband? You know, what was interesting was that she has just been tracking this dynamic. And first of all, I love that your your heart just like feels the tears because I'm like you in that way. Like I'm a feeler. And it's funny, so many people who are probably listening or maybe not your listeners, but a lot of people that I have been around, it's it's so much work to go from thinking to feeling, you know, putting that ladder from your head to your heart. Oh, yeah. And 
one dynamic that I think a lot about as it relates to this water bottle is obviously it's not about the water bottle, but it's about giving versus taking and what that dynamic really looks like. And I've just been thinking a lot about how loaded giving can be. Like there's people who give so that they can manipulate and get something back. There's people who give, give, give. And then by the time they realize their gas tank is empty, they have nothing left to give anymore. That's why nine out of 10 professionals in the workforce are burnt out right now, according to research. Like just there's so much around giving. And I always love to ask people that are close to me, like what percent of the time would you say that you're the giver in your relationships and in your life? And it's interesting because I've had to really clean up my relationship with giving. And I don't know, I think about that a lot with the water bottle. It's like that person, my friend, she felt taken from in a way. And it was so small, like to just be like a water bottle he chugged. It could be nothing with no story, but I feel like it was a part of a greater pattern that she was noticing and, and suffering from in her marriage. And so it's, it's been so interesting for me to watch her. And it's also got me thinking a lot about collaboration. Like, Mm -hmm all of us learn differently how to collaborate, right? Like I had a parent, I had parents who, well, first of all, I had a sister who was a drug addict and she passed away. And I actually thought about going to Al-Anon because of her. And I haven't been yet, but it's so interesting that you mentioned that because I was thinking about it just this week. I'll send you a, there's like this really great, like LA, all the meetings in LA that like are all on Zoom now because of the pandemic. So I'll I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'm excited to like dive in and see what that's all about. And, and to anyone listening who Yeah. I would love yeah. And and for anybody who's listening, I'm my understanding is Al Anon is not for you if you're the alcoholic, but someone close to an alcoholic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 My sister eventually like passed away from drugs, but I as a kid was so straight edge because I had this like crazy sister. And so right. the um dynamic that I had with my parents was that I was such a good student. I was so straight edge that they were, I don't even know what straight edge means, but I think that's one thing that people use to describe me that I, my parents would never say no to me. Cause they were like, you're such a good kid. You have a 4.1 GPA and you don't do drugs. Like do you? And it was so amazing because I'm a Gemini who values freedom. I was so free. But one thing that I'm realizing and as, a, as an adult now is that I didn't really learn how to collaborate because they never really said no and forced me to sit in the discomfort of like negotiating or finding common ground or accepting the discomfort of not being able to do something my freedom was impulsing towards. And then I also met someone who had really strict parents and I was realizing through conversation with them, they didn't learn how to collaborate because their parents were so strict that they didn't get an experience of collaboration. There was no collaboration. Their parents told them what to do and that was that. So yeah, the, the thought I, lately I've been thinking deeply about giving and taking the little things and collaboration. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, like those little moments add up and, and noticing that, like clocking that takes presence and there's like a privilege to that, right? Like, let me see if I can explain this, but like my mom is on my mind because I was just with her for a week and, and it's this presence that comes from having time and space. And like my mom just had to raise me by herself and pay for me as a child. And she didn't have the luxury, like you were saying, like she's worked the same corporate job for 40 years and she didn't have the luxury to slow down and notice who was taking her goddamn water. You know what I mean? She just had to get more water. And that is a privilege that like I 
and, and my friends who I was talking about today, like they are so present. They are so like in their world and like able to like slow down and like go with the flow and not be like, I, I've rarely seen them stressed. I'm sure it happens, but I feel like I am like constantly a little bit disorganized and behind and like feel like it's, it's, I tend towards like how my mom is of just like kind of flustering and like trying to do things. And it's really nice when I can like have a moment to myself to like read mm-hmm. or like, you know, just go and get ice cream with someone or whatever. And I think that acknowledgement of the privilege of that, of like, some people just have to survive. Like they just have to like make money and survive and, you know, caretake, right. That they don't have time to like clock those little microaggressions, if I can call them that, or minor injustices or like sadnesses, or that was probably not a good use of microaggression, but, you know, just like little tiny hurts, you know, and those little tiny hurts add up. And I think they live in our bodies and I think they, they really live on in relationships. And I think noticing that is really important and crucial. And I, and I think, you know, with me, with, with these friends I was just with, they were, one of them had just had a, had a breakup and she was talking about, she was like, yeah, I do feel okay because I don't want to accept that anymore. Like it wasn't, you know, correct for me anymore. And I'm owning that. You know, and there's sadness to that. There's pain to that. That's jarring, but like ultimately, it's growth and it's like self reflection. And I think it's really good and correct. And I think that takes a level of like growth and ownership. Where like I, I said to her, I was like, "That's great, honestly. Like I've been a doormat so much that I've like sometimes I can't even like have the confidence to like leave something because I'm afraid of being alone or I'm afraid mm-hmm. of you know I rather have someone drinking my water than like not have anyone around at all." You know, and I think there's like a a growth and a privilege to be able to be like, no, I'm fine on my own. And no, I'm going to say no to this. And like that is self-worth and that is a challenge to get to and and something that like my mom was never able to do that. Right. Like my mom always like gave away everything and had nothing left. And I, because of her, which is like, this is the thing part that makes me cry. I'm able to live this life that like she can't even conceive of because she lived the life that she did. And you know, that's heavy, (laughs) but, but true. Yeah. Wow. And it's interesting, all of these topics that we're covering, because one thing that was coming to mind when you were talking about like these little micro traumas that we get in our life, or maybe big T traumas is that Um, there's something to be said about knowing what to do with all of it, right? Like that's personal development. And for me, I've been on this journey for over a decade with myself of trying to make sense of the world around me because I came into a family where I didn't feel like I belonged there. And it's only in the recent years where I've really found my ground with everyone. And it wasn't that anyone was unkind to me. Everybody was so kind. It was that I had a lot of deep thoughts about life, about the world and not everyone was emotionally available or interested to indulge in those with me, you know? And so we get these little micro traumas and pains when we put ourselves out there and we're not met or we're not seen and we start to believe things about ourselves. And um, one of the things that I've been learning lately is just about healing and um, how important it is to kind of take stock of like, what do you do with those little moments where you get really hurt? How do you recover? Because what I'm finding is like, Sometimes I feel like I'm this rock and every single pain chips away at a part of me. And if I don't learn how to refill my well, I start to feel like a shell at a certain point. And I think a lot of people 
feel that whether it's in their career or in their relationships. And it all comes back to self-worth and giving. And you also talked about boundaries and and self-love. And you know, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot about boundaries versus barriers. Yeah. There's such a big difference between saying like, this is where I start and you stop kind of a thing. Like this is a boundary I need out of love and out of taking care of myself. And then there's some people that like the boundary is so intimidating to set that they just put a wall up and it's like Fort Knox, you know, and it takes so much work to be a giver, to be seen, to recover from those little micro moments that are not so little when you keep thinking about them in a circle. Yeah. I've I've never had a podcast host ask me like, what's present for you right now? What lessons are you learning? And I love it because I've never talked like this on a podcast Mm -hmm. before. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, we all want connection, right? And like, I think that connecting with someone, even in this, like we're essentially working right now, but I actually feel like I'm connecting with you and I actually feel like I'm present with you. And, you know, that's why we're here, right? Like, I think people can get your backstory. People can get like your work elsewhere. I'm sure you've done other podcasts. You have your own podcast. You have a book. They can read your bio for that. Like, I think this is to me more interesting in the way I do the show. No, I totally agree. And, it, and it's interesting because I have this body of work around how to figure out your career path in my book and my podcast and all the things, but it feels nice to get into the truth and the soul of who someone is and, and to see you doing that. So thank you for the opportunity to do that with you here. That's so nice. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting how we, you know, I think we're starved for what I call like conversation intimacy. We all want to be seen and loved for who we really are, but we hide because we're afraid of not being loved and being seen and that's vulnerable. And we all want vulnerability. Like we want to be seen and we want to connect. And I think we're so starved for conversation intimacy in this culture of like sound bites and TikTok that podcasting is a welcomed phenomenon to me. And mm-hmm. we'll settle to listen to other people connect because we're not maybe connecting on our own. So when you can like hear people connect in a podcast, I think that's really special. Mm-hmm. It's for me. Yeah. You know, I used to, I, I still do a lot of keynote like stage stuff. I, I feel like I said I used to because COVID felt so long with as being someone who goes yeah. out and does that. And people always tell me, you know, like clients who hire me for their event or whatever, they'll say like, man, you were so authentic and people really crave that. And I never let that hit or land until recently where I was like, yeah, shoot, it is so hard to be real in this world. There are so many stimulants out there that make it so hard to be yourself. And it just feels like happiness is is not for the faint of heart. Like the level of commitment you need to have to the truth of who you are and where you are and, and what you need because of that is just, it's amazing when people choose that path. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do want to go back to how you used to be and like, what, where, where'd you grow up? What were you like as a kid? You, you mentioned a little bit about your sister and I'm, I'm sure that like highly impacted you, but what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up and where did you think you would be at this age? I was like an insane kid. One thing I read about in my book briefly was I was kicked out of preschool for headbutting. Like I pretended to hug a kid and then I would like clock them with my head, like headbutt them. Oh my God. I was like a crazy kid. I had more energy in my body than, than my body could fit. I think I was really smart. I think I was an empath and felt everyone around me. And having a sister who had a drug problem 
And she was my best friend. She used to pick me up from preschool, like caused a lot of pain to love someone so much and to have them be your best friend. And there was some part of me as a kid who knew that one day, once I understood what death was, I had this feeling like she was going to go early and she did. Mm. And, um, but I, I think that, so sorry. Thank you. You know, I also feel like really connected to her. And as a kid, I think the way that I took on all of that was I just had displaced energy. Like I would Mm. see a lot of stuff going on and I didn't know what to do with it. One thing I also write about as a kid was like the root of my anxiety was being molested by a boy that I had known my whole life. And so I think it's believed one out of three women go through something of this nature. And for that to happen when I was a kid, it's just, again, it was just so much energy towards me. And I didn't understand, obviously, at the time that that those experiences, that creates anxiety, you know, like anxiety, just going to die anxiety that someone I know could, could violate me in that way. And so I kind of walked out around the world with this like crazy vibration around me, this, this anxious vibration around me. And I wasn't able to make sense of it until it showed up in my career because these little pieces of us aren't so little and they start to bleed everywhere. And so thanks to my career and the pressure that I put on myself later, I was able to kind of get to the root of my anxiety and actually take a deeper look at myself. But yeah, I was, I was a crazy kid and I, um, my dad had a ton of money. He had a financial firm. He dropped out of college and he had 300 employees and he ended up losing it all when I was seven and we nearly claimed bankruptcy and we moved and sold our house. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of my upbringing watching him work really hard to put food on the table, to feel creative. He's an entrepreneur at heart. So every other year he was creating something new and God blesses, like he was succeeding at it in different ways. But most of my upbringing, I I watched him reinvent himself. And now as an adult, there's so many parallels. Like I created an online course for job seekers and ended up losing all of my money. It was millions of dollars. Oh my God. And paying it off and kind of like recreating myself just like my dad. So I've had to do some pretty deep work on the, you know, the programming and the the way my thermostat was set as a kid about money, about success, about anxiety and and, and so much more. But yeah, I could yeah. talk forever about this. I don't know if it's interesting. How did you how did you lose all the money? Oh my gosh. So back before coaches were like a trend and uh-huh. I remember I was really good at job hunting and I ended up working in counterterrorism because I was impacted by 9-11. I had family members on the East Coast. Oh my God. And I remember I was like, I'm going to fix this. And I've had that rescue complex since I was a kid because when my dad lost all of his money, I remember thinking, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make a lot of money. And I had this belief also from watching him struggle that the pursuit of money kind of kills you. So my beliefs about money were kind of incongruent, but... I ended up being an amazing job seeker after graduating in the recession and not being able to get a job. I had so much pain from that, that I networked my face off and and fell on my face and said the wrong things. And 2000 networking conversations later, I literally, you know, cold called so many people, got on LinkedIn, cold messaged so many people that in the recession, after I got my graduate degree and I was making minimum wage, that pain just fueled me to network. And I've ended up getting multiple job offers in DC and national security and helping a lot of friends and turning that into a career coaching business and online courses. And it was like 
the beginning of online courses in my experience. Like there wasn't a lot of webinars and stuff. And I just worked my, but I, I had this methodology that I'd created that had worked for me from all of that networking. And I was really excited about it. I just needed to get it out there. And it was like 2012, 2011, when Facebook ads just began. And I was like, I'm going to fill a webinar and I'm going to automate it. And I'm going to sell a job hunting course and make a crazy impact. Like I know that millennials in the recession like me need job offers. So I fell on my face for like a year. I was like 110K in debt just on like landing pages and, you know, copywriters and websites and all this stuff and at Facebook ads that I spent money on. And one day I, I hired this guy and there was something that didn't feel good about him, but he seemed really smart and I was desperate. And he helped me fix my webinar and put some things on it. Like for example, testimonials from people who got job offers, things that I just hadn't thought about. Like he made me create a video of the testimonials that I played on the webinar. And because of him, my presentation tipped into being profitable. And after a year of iterating with this webinar and paying for Facebook ads and hoping people would watch my thing and and buy my job hunting course, I ended up getting 4,000 customers in two months or, you know, two to 4,000 customers in two months overnight. And I created an email list of half a million people in, in just like a few months. And it rocked my world. And I didn't have a mindset that could keep up with that level of success. Like I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what if I made $100,000 off of my course? Not like 5.5 million. So when that happened, I felt that fear from watching my dad lose all of his money. And my mom and all of us, our programming was so real. My mom looked at my sales dashboard and was like, holy shit, you know, like this is insane. And I felt like I wasn't worthy of making that much money. I had more anxiety than I'd ever had in my life ever and was so scared to lose it because that's what I grew up around was losing your money and having to hustle because of it and going through pain. So I hired a bunch of lawyers and turned off everything. I turned off my ads. I turned off my webinar. And I was like, I'm not going to let myself make this much money unless it's in perfect integrity. Mm. I, um, you know, I worked in the government, like I value justice. So I had, you know, lawyers look at it and they found a bunch of gray zones that the internet marketing was so much newer at that time that there was no case law around webinars, but there was definitely new information. Like in my webinar, I talk about like the first 15 people who buy the course get like a bonus and there's different laws now, not then around urgency and selling with urgency on a webinar. There's, there's so many things. So I was so overwhelmed. I turned it off. And by the time the lawyers went through everything and I turned it back on and hired, you know, 10, 15 employees and had crazy overhead, the ads weren't converting anymore. And I went from having this funnel on Facebook ads to no business really. And just a bunch of customers that I didn't know how to support. And so I am so grateful for that experience. And I kept my integrity and served all the customers and hired the people and went into even more debt to serve them and shut down the course. And at that time, that was when my sister died. And I just sat with myself. I sat with my no money after having all of this money. I sat with loss. And I, I remember so many friends said to me like, 
I don't know how you're doing this. And I think it's a blessing. And obviously that's easy to say now when the failure is or whatever it was, is kind of behind me, but going through that kind of loss financially, emotionally in your family, it teaches you like rock bottom means something. It's so sacred because you're stripped, you're stripped of everything. And you, you ask the big questions and you get to start over, which is what we're designed to do as people. Yeah, totally. There's, freedom and loss. Cause it's like, okay, my worst case scenario happened. Yeah. Now what, you know, I'm here and that's uncomfortable and it's so challenging when you're in it. But I think on the other side of it is growth, you know, growth is uncomfortable. Growth is sometimes uncomfortable. Sometimes it doesn't have to be, but you know, I think it's part of it's part of it. It's part of why we came here, you know. And I think, anyway, thank you for sharing all that. And I'm so sorry that happened. And it sounds like you've learned so much from that experience. Yeah, no, thank you. And I'm literally coming in so hot on this podcast, like sharing all of the skeletons in my closet. But I feel like exclusive. I, yeah, I mean, honestly, I have nothing to hide. And you know, even working in the government and not to be political at all. It's it's interesting because there's a lot of conversation in this country about privacy. And I don't know, I'm just one of those people where I'm like, I have nothing to hide. Anybody can watch me or listen to me. Like I go to bed at night feeling good about how I show up, my integrity, what I'm thinking about, you know, and yeah. that's so priceless. This week's episode is brought to you by Green Chef. I'm really, really excited about Green Chef. They have expert chefs curate every single recipe with over 30 meal choices every single week and the flexibility to swap plans so you'll never have to sacrifice taste for nutrition. You can enjoy restaurant quality dishes in the comfort of your own home. Enjoy new and nutritious recipes each week that are perfect for you and the entire family. This is the meal kit I'm most excited about for several reasons. One of them is that Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit out there. So you can get hand-picked organic veggies and premium proteins right to your door. And this is the best part. Green Chef is also the most sustainable meal kit yet, offsetting 100% of their plastic use, 100% of their carbon footprint and admissions. So you can enjoy food that's delivered right to your door, fresh premium ingredients, pre-portioned, so you're actually reducing food waste by at least 25%. I love this meal kit. I think it's really easy to use and there's so many options. It's really fun. It's fun to make them and I keep the recipe cards and I have my friends over for dinner with them and I really like having them on hand. I am new to cooking and this has been really useful for me in getting started. I picked the plant-based option and let me tell you, the maple carrot farro bowl was maybe one of the best things I've eaten and I feel really proud of myself that I put it together and they made it so easy for me. There's this cauliflower bowl that was fantastic, a mushroom soup and I think a spicy Middle Eastern plant-based bowl situation that I also really loved. So try it out. I think you will probably really enjoy it as well. Go to greenchef.com slash let it out 100 and use the code let it out 100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. Go to greenchef.com slash let it out 100 and use code let it out 100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. 
I listened to one of your episodes recently that was about integrity, honesty, and change. Mm -hmm. And I pick a word of the year every year, Mm -hmm. which is like so cheesy, but really nice. (laughs) And this year I chose integrity because I felt like integrity is something that I do not even in an altruistic way, but in a way that's like helps with my mental health. You know what I mean? Like it helps with my anxiety to be knowing that I was trying my best, knowing that I, when I'm spiraling about someone being mad at me or not hearing from a friend, being like, did I do something? Did I say something that was incorrect? Like, try to be in integrity all the time. And then it's like, all right, well, it's their irresponsibility. Not everyone's going to like me, but it's their responsibility to speak to me and voice a concern. I don't have to be a mind reader. And if I'm in integrity, I have nothing to worry about. you know. And I'm not going to be in integrity all the time, which is what guilt is for. My friend Savannah's therapist, his name is Jed. Jeb? Jed. I like know all the names of my friend's therapists. Um, uh-huh. Talk to your friends about therapy. It's like very economical to get advice. But he said to her last week in their session that guilt is like the bumpers on bowling and to keep you in integrity, right? So if you feel a little funky about something and it's guilt, it's like pushing you back into the center, which is your integrity. And I really loved that. You know, I think we're always trying to come back to center and I just really commend you for like getting to that place in your business and in your life. And I think that's tremendous. And I'm happy that that happened for you. And I'd love to hear like where you are with integrity now and like to talk a little bit about what you did in that episode about integrity and honesty and change. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I feel like integrity is such a two-way job. Like on one side, you need to have integrity in how you show up with people, like doing what you say you're gonna do, or just being a reliable person or being proud of who you are when nobody's watching. But I think that there's a deeper conversation also about integrity that isn't always being had about your relationship with yourself, being in integrity with yourself. And, you know, so many people out there want happiness and fulfillment, whether it's in their relationship or they're turning to me or my book or my stuff for their career. And I've found that, you know, most people aren't really looking for clarity in their life or integrity. They're looking for, connection to themselves. And it's it's hard to be in integrity with yourself when you're so disconnected from yourself. It's hard to know what your likes are and what your interests are. There's so many people that are walking around the world who don't really know much about themselves outside of what music they like or what kind of food is their favorite. And it's just so important that we get to know ourselves and get curious about ourselves. And that's why I love that you have your journaling book because it's just one of many ways that we can use to get back into integrity with who we are. And you know, sometimes integrity means that you're willing to stand in the flames of the truth and burn everything down so that you can start over. That is the cost, I think, of, of happiness in, in my experience. So I mean, I could talk about integrity all day, but it's such a deep value for me because I know that when you go to bed at your, with yourself at night, there's those little whispering thoughts in your mind. And to not have peace with who you are, or how you show up, 
to not have pride in who you are or how you show up, it, it hurts your self-esteem and you don't like yourself. And I, I don't know, it just sounds like a miserable long-term relationship to have with yourself if you don't like you. Yeah, I think liking is great and I hope that I can get there. And I like parts of myself. I definitely don't know if I like myself yet. I hope I get there. I'm so much closer than I've been in the past, but I'm starting to accept myself. And I think, you know, Tara Brock's work around, I don't know if you've read her book, Radical Acceptance, but I think, you know, that is something I always recommend to people like in breakups. And I always, it's like accepting what is, accepting like, all right, well, this is what I have to work with this time around, you know? And that exactly like you're saying, like that's what journaling has been so helpful for me for is like to even know what we're working with is like a step, even know what to like or dislike to really understand that there's a self-honesty there that can be uncomfortable, but it is ultimately very useful. Yes. And I love what you said about guilt. Like these different feelings are always here to just put us back on track. And so it's cool for me to kind of think like, okay, next time I feel guilt, that's just like an inner alarm that is telling me I'm out of integrity, which is is good to know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's uncomfortable. Like no one wants to hit the bumper, but, yeah. you know, and, and I think I often ignore it when I do. Like I had an experience going home with my mom where I was so out of integrity and I was being an asshole, basically. Like I was not handling it well. And I was being like a grumpy teenager with like, I have a lot on my to-do list. And I'm like, you flew across the country to like see your mom and yet you're distracted. Right. And I felt guilt and I didn't want to feel it. I wanted to be like, yeah, well, she's really annoying. (laughs) You know, like she's really domineering or like, which is true, but also like I was feeling guilty and the guilt was warranted, you know? And so there, and there's other times, you know, you feel guilt and it's like guilt and shame are very different, you know, like Brene Brown talks about that, but shame is like, I am bad. Guilt is like, I did a bad thing. Shit. And that's okay. You just have to make amends and fix it, which is uncomfortable, but possible. And on the other side of that is growth. And I did that. I apologized. I, you know, wished it had to happen. You can't go back in time, but you know, things happen and then people can forgive people. And that's, that's a beauty of humanness, I think, is forgiveness. And you, and like, you know, you can forgive people who aren't even with us. You can forgive people without talking to them. That's a whole conversation. But <sighs> yeah, I think, yeah, I really relate to all of that. So I want to talk about you, you know, becoming a career coach, which, you know, stemmed from you pivoting careers at age 24 and, you know, the experience that you mentioned of working in DC and you wrote about in your book, U-Turn. Can you talk about how you work with people now and what your life looks like now as a result of that pivot. Yeah. I mean, kind of like I talked about earlier, you know, going into counterterrorism, I I had some moments where I felt like, wow, I'm really interested in this, but I might not be super alive and obsessed with it. And I think a lot of people are in careers where they pursue an interest and they give it kind of an undue promotion into a career path versus it just being one of many interests. And so regardless of that, there was something inside of me that wanted to follow it. And I learned that when you follow what feels good, there's so much purpose either right in front of you or on the periphery. And there was some part of me that thought, you know, I don't see myself in national security forever, but I, my soul wants to experience it. And so I 
pursued that. And on the periphery, I learned how to job hunt. That was my whole journey is like in the middle of the recession, trying to get where I wanted to go. And I learned that life is a numbers game. The more doors you knock on, the more possibilities you get, the more conversations you have, the more awareness you can have. And that really influenced my entrepreneurial mindset. And when I started at the Pentagon, I had a ton of friends asking me, like, how did you get so many job offers? And, you know, obviously we know how that ended up with a course and all of these other things. But at the time, I just remember inviting people to Starbucks to help them learn what I was doing with my resume and all that kind of stuff. And what was so cool about that was people would start bringing friends of friends and friends of friends. And I kind of self-discovered through it that I really love helping people pursue opportunities and I think it started with like the aliveness I felt from the job hunt. You know, it's, I'm, I'm a Gemini. I love my freedom. And there was so much freedom in knowing how to job hunt because no longer did I feel like I was at the workforce's mercy during the recession. I felt like I was in charge. It felt amazing. So I started giving people those tools and that ended up turning into my online courses and my one-on-one coaching. And I just started in 2011, 2012 with what I knew and what I knew was job hunting. That was it. And so I, you know, I was like, okay, how can I coach people when I don't have much of a career to be coaching on? You know, like I just know how to job hunt. And so I started with what I knew and I just helped people that specifically needed help with the job hunt who weren't hearing back on their applications. And next thing I knew about six months into it, I landed my first TED talk and my practice was full and people's parents were paying me left and right to help their kid get a job because they were just like I was sleeping on their parents' couch one month too many during the recession trying to get a job. And they started getting all these job offers. They started becoming whizzes at networking. And then years later, they would come back to me and say, you know, you taught me how to get job offers, but now I want to make sure I get the right one. I really want to learn how to be who I am. And I don't know what that is. And I had just coached enough people, you know, thousands online in my courses or in my newsletter, on my email list, and then a lot of them one-on-one. And I had coached everyone. And I started doing mindset coaching because so much of the job hunt is mindset. And I have this mantra I share in my book that I kind of live by, which is high intention and low attachment. And I just remember thinking to myself, like my grandma used to say to me, you know, knock on a thousand doors or a hundred doors and you're always going to hear from someone. And I think Byron Katie also says that, which is really cool that that's being echoed by somebody like her. So yeah, that fast forward and here I am, I'm an author, I have my podcast. I do a lot of speaking and consulting for companies who want to retain their employees And the way that they have me on is by teaching their employees what their skills are and how to bring those to work. And I just love that I get to help people in such an unusual way and that I've evolved into this. I love that too. And I love that line. Like, I think that's, I mean, non attachment is everything. And I think that is such a good line for life. Like, that's good for friendship. That's good for dating for sure. I have a friend who was recently laid off and is job hunting right now. And like, I'm going to definitely share that with her. Like, I think it's such a tremendous mantra for everything, you know, of like, try, put yourself out there, but release the result and know that like so much of every, we talked about this in, in part one of this conversation on your podcast that so much of life is timing, right? Like if it, mm-hmm. and that in believing that line of like, that's a cliche now, but it's so true. And I don't even know who said it, but 
what is for me will not pass me. You know, like that is such a, on a good day, I can believe that. And on a bad day, it feels really tough. Yeah. Um, totally agree. It's so hard yeah. to believe that. What is so? Do you have a mantra with that, or how do you keep true with that? Because that's a tough one with non attachment. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I was just editing this week's episode with this person. Do you know Dana Max? No. Anyway, she's this week's guest, and it's an episode that I had like forgotten about and recorded like months ago, and then found on my computer. And I remember thinking after, I was like, I don't know. What was that a good episode? Like I, I didn't like have it. Sometimes I'm like jazzed after and I'm like a little high and I was like knocked it out of the park. That was a great interview. And this yeah. one I remember, it was like a rainy day because there's like, you know, three rainy days a year in LA. And I felt really like, nah, it wasn't that good. But I listened back to it and I was like, wow, I really got a lot from this interview of what she shared. And we talked a lot about non-attachment. And again, it was such a like, so indicative of where I was that day. I was talking a lot about not attachment and, and she was saying like, it's just surrender. It's just like releasing control and to be not attached, you have to like focus on other things. And, you know, my, my friend Sophie classically says this line, I think this has become my mantra more than anything. She's one of the most wise people in my life. She's several years younger than me. She's 26. She's a butcher. She works in a totally different career than I do. And we have that, but we have very similar mental health situations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we experience anxiety very similarly. Like we, every time we hang out, we send what we call the follow up text, or it's just like, <laughs> you know, so much so, the best. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you are one of us. And so, so has this line that I think I said on your show, but she says, you know, you got to protect yourself from your own mind. And I remember the first time she said it, we were like on a hike and she was talking about. And that's my like non-attachment mantra, you know, of like, if I see myself getting a little too attached, it's my responsibility to like, ooh, taper that, you know, like distract yourself from... She she was giving it in the context of dating where she was like seeing how I was being with someone and she was like, I don't let myself get to that point. She's like, if I'm, you know, getting a little bit too into Tyler, I distract myself with Jason. If I'm a little too into Jason, I distract myself with like Dana, you know, like I'm, she constantly has a lot of irons in the fire and I've like never been like that dating. But I think it's really healthy mentally to do that, at least at the beginning. And I think it's just like, we do that with jobs, you know, like don't put all your eggs in the basket is like a cliched saying for a reason. It's about non-attachment. You know, it's about like, if you put all of your safety and security into an idea of something or someone, that is a recipe for disaster, (laughs) you know? And I think it happens so easily because we are people who, I think, especially as women, at least in dating for sure, like I've been talking to my friend Isabel a lot about this, but we want to attach. And, And she told me recently that like when a woman has sex with someone, they attach very easily where men once they have sex with someone like detach very easily. Like a lot of this is primal and biological and cyclical. And, you know, and I think it, it's that kind of chemistry also comes into play with this really was the case for me with finding an apartment. Like I, I was searching for an apartment last year and like very attached to outcomes. And then when something didn't happen, like took it very personally, you know, and I think, you know, what you do with career coaching, I think applies in so many areas. The obvious ones right now to me are like definitely with friendship, apartment searching and 
dating, you know, for sure. And that's the thing with friendship. Like it takes time. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like not a attach- you know, it's all there. It's right for the picking with like everything comes back to non-attachment. Yes, it's so true. And I love hearing that you have friends like your friend Sophie. I think that's so inspiring. I have a lot of friends who are younger than me and I went to school in Europe and one of the big and I'm I speak French um and lived in Paris for a long time. Ooh. And one of the things that I just love is like how much texture I get from people who are younger than me, older than me, from different places than me. And I'm so thirsty for that all the time. I seek it out. And I think that's been one of the keys to my career is like, I just try to be interesting, not out of my ego, but for myself, like I want stimulation in my life. So yeah, I've, I've been super committed to asking myself on an ongoing basis, like what would be interesting for me? Like, what am I interested in? And just having a lighter relationship with just pursuing that. And so that's so cool to hear that you have a friend like her. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. I I have a lot of my friends here in LA are younger than me. Like my whole group of friends, my really close friend, Zoe is 25 and then Savannah's 26 and Dexter and it's 25. Like, you know, like I have a lot of young friends. And then I, in New York, a lot, most of my friends are older than me and I'm obviously still friends with them too. Like my friend Bob just texted me, like, as you were asking that question and he's in his forties. So it's like, I don't know if he's listening. He's 39. I just lied, (laughs) but like he's older. I always dated people my same age. I always was friends with people my same age. And, you know, recently in the last several years, like that's shifted. And I think there's a, there's a real richness there. Like you said, I I never even like thought about it until you said it, but I think it's really good to have people. And I had a lot of friends in New York who like did similar things to me, you know, like we've all kind of buried what we do now, but like I had a lot of friends who like worked in like wellness or media and that was really boring, you know, (laughs) like I don't, and then there was just like, okay, well, we connected over work. So then it's like, is this like a work relationship? And then it would like teeter on friendship and then become friendship usually, which is cool. But that was like still there, which is dope. Like, I'm so happy I have those people because, you know, as as you know, like I don't really have colleagues. So it's great to be able to, you know, like my friend Serena, who I co-host Spiraling with, we can talk about work, which is cool. And we are now friends, but like, it's definitely a welcomed change for me. We don't have a ton more time, but I have so many more questions for you and just very long notes I took on preparing for this day. It was so nice spending time with your work. So let's do as many as we can as quick fire. How does that sound? Yeah, I'm in. So you had an episode about overcommitment and rushing. And mm-hmm. I would just love your brief thoughts on that because I just feel like I miss so much when I'm rushing and I'm really... Yeah trying to not do that. I tend to be a person who runs late and I am trying to be a time pessimist instead of a time optimist where I'm like, that's my friend Abby's term, but I'm trying to like fit in less in the time that I have open instead of like trying to fit a ton in. So yeah, I'd love to hear about your thoughts on that. Yeah. You know, um, having like mentioned just living in France for so long and I went to university there for a while my family and friends there, they used to have an expression that basically implies to live in a rush is to live in depletion and to give yourself time is to live in luxury. And so good. Yeah. And I just, I feel like to rush is to just completely abdicate all luxury in your life. If you're 
just this machine. And it's interesting. I noticed that I had a rushing problem, for lack of a better term, six or seven years ago. I had a return at a department store and it was like noon. And I was like, it was a Saturday and I was, I had the bag in my hand and I was like rushing down the third street promenade in Santa Monica to return it. And my partner at the time was like, what are you rushing for? Like, we are going to be on this promenade all day. We're going to lunch. Like, what are you rushing down the promenade for? And it was the first time that I was like, damn, like I just rush, but there's like no reason. And I'm in this like tense place with my heart, with my heartbeat, with my blood pumping for nothing. And so I've really learned over time to be someone who values that space on her calendar and my, my ideas and my creativity. You know, we talked about that with you on my show. It's like, they need space to stretch out and form themselves. And so more than ever, I've created space in my life and more than ever, I'm comfortable saying no to some things that I could say yes to that and to me and to my space. I think there's a lot of people who rush because they overfill their calendar and they feel like they're the most committed person. I'm, I had a client once who she was like super mom and then she also worked and, and then she had all these friends and I was like, this is all amazing. But then she would take on extra stuff like PTA and the soccer, you know, schedule and for the kids. And I remember she used to tell me how committed she likes to be. And she identifies as a very committed person, but all of her commitments were slipping and she was rushing around trying to make it to all of them. And she wasn't all in with any of them because she had so many. And it was then that she realized by being so committed, she's not committed at all. And, you know, for me, I just watching her and coaching her through that and facilitating that it was like a mirror. I was like, I, I'm learning through her right now what I could be creating in my life. And so, yeah, I mean, I could talk about rushing. Like I've, I've lived my life with so much rush and I'm, I'm working so hard. It's a, it's a daily choice. Just like being authentic is a choice every day. Like anytime you can change your mind and not be authentic. It's, it's easy to change your mind. It's the same thing with rushing. It, it, it's like every day I commit to slowing down every moment. I love that. I think it's really it's really tough for me to do that and I just miss so much when I'm rushing, you know? And like my expanders and people I really admire are people who take their time and like my friend Carolina is one of those people who moves through the world in this presence and this connection to whatever's going on with her where she gets someplace early and then she reads a book you know? And like, instead of, I'm going to fit in 800 million things. And I think there's just such a richness to that, that I really admire and, you know, would love to have in my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And even being an entrepreneur, it's like, you know, there's something to be said about, I don't know. It kind of feels like when you're building a business, you're building a house and there's like all of this electrical in it. And you want to make sure that like the house is going to hold if you turn on all the lights and it it almost feels like if you're not going too slow like a fuse is going to give out you know yeah and so i've tried to kind of be anchored in that way yeah totally what is your favorite part of your life right now mm, my friendships like i love listening to you talk about your friends i have a lot of girlfriends as well that are like so important to me and um it's, my friendships are just a place that I can always go and feel like myself and feel alive. Yeah, same. It's so funny. I listened to 
an episode of your podcast today about sex and relationships Mm -hmm. that was so good. And the person you were interviewing, I don't remember who it was, but she said something that the best thing to like lift libido is to be around girlfriends. Do you remember this? Because it increases your estrogen. They did some study and even just like spending time with girlfriends, like talking about sex and dating and love increases your libido, which I thought was so cool. And I definitely feel is true for me and my friends. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you talk about creativity. I mean, sexual energy, creativity, it's also so tied. Yeah, it's so entertained. I love about your podcast how you have the topics like right up there where it's like well being, sex, dating, or uh, what are they like career? Yeah, it's really cool how you do that. Yeah, I'm going to put your conversation with me in the mindset category since we talked about creativity and heartbreak. And I also have, in addition to mindset, work, love, and wellness. I recently got diagnosed with Lyme disease, and I'm um, so sorry. Oh, I feel like I'm such a sob story. I'm like, I got diagnosed Lyme disease, lost my money, but I'm actually doing amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a thing. Like we all go through shit. And if anybody's telling you that they're not, they're fucking lying. Yeah, it's so true. I'm like the most alive person that I know with this. And I honestly, I feel like more than ever, I have perspective on all of these things that we've talked about and just slowing down and um, it really inspired me to add wellness onto my podcast because I was like, wow, how do I have a self-development show that doesn't talk about physical wellness? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, with that, with physical wellness, what since you have those episodes about love and sex and connection, what has been, you know, from those episodes I learned a lot just today, is there a greatest lesson on intimacy and sex and connection that has come to you from those? Mm. I think the most important thing I've learned about sexual connection through interviewing people in my podcast is that there are different preferences that people have in their sex life and in their creativity and in their physical expression. And you can't really say that something's a no for you unless you've tried it or really considered it. That was something that a recent guest had told me. And I remember thinking like, how much does that apply to my life in general? Like, there's so many things I'm like, I don't like that. But then I look at it and I'm like, have I even tried that sex or not? Like anything. And so that conversation, her name is Abby Medcalf. And I think that episode's going to come out soon. It really shook me just talking to her and learning from her. Yeah. Wow. I love that. What is your greatest lesson on creativity? That your career and your life is an experiment and that it meets you where you are and you have to meet yourself where you are and the power of process. There's far too many people who are putting the pressure on themselves to have the answer of who they should be or where they should be. And they're overlooking the reality that like life is a process and that there's a process. You need to make mistakes to get to your answers. You need to have failure on the failure lives on the same block as success. And so um, I'm a very experimental person with my career and in my life in general. And it's something that has moved me forward every time. Yeah. I love that. You have a large social media following and use social media for your work. What is your greatest lesson on social media? Do you ever struggle with it? How does it feel for you? Yeah. I mean, when I scaled my online course, we spent over $2 million on Facebook ads. And so there was like 
a conversion rate of trolls, you know, like 0.01% of the traffic we bought was a troll. And I'm so happy I got that early on. It was so painful for me getting criticized at that level for putting myself out there. And it was like rejection therapy. I got so much pain from being attacked that I feel free. And it also brought me into my integrity. So now whenever I see a troll comment, I always love like the three-star trolls because usually there's an intelligence to like what they're saying. They're not totally trashing you, but they're not praising you and and pumping your ego, you know? So yeah. I've learned to become curious about feedback and and that's something that's taken a lot of pain to get to. Wow. I'm sorry that happened, but yeah, that, that makes sense that that would just, you know, knock you out of it again, like getting to the hitting your bottom. There's a lot of richness there. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is really just a way to recommend things, but is there a book, movie, TV show, song, quote, idea, anything you want to recommend to people before we wrap up? I mean, obviously, shamelessly, I can recommend U-Turn, um, my book, which yes. is Y-O-U-Turn, two words, and it's Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. And it's all 10 years of my body of work on how to figure out who you are and how you can apply that to making the right career decisions and choices and path movements for you. But that book was really influenced by Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky because the way he writes and the intimacy he writes from inspired me to be a writer. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else from other people that you want to recommend that's useful to you? I mean, I'm always a fan of Byron Katie and her book. Is Like, how can I not recommend it? And the book that really really woke me up was Eckhart Tolle's New Earth. Yeah. Agree. Hard agree with both of those wrecks. Well, the name of this podcast is Let It Out. So do you feel like I wrung you dry? Is there anything you wished I would have asked that you never get to talk about? Anything else that you want to share? I mean, no, you really are such a beautiful conversationalist. And I'm so honored to like share so much with your listeners and mm-hmm. hope that there's some insight for them and everything. Thank you. That's so, so kind. Well, I'm so happy that you are here. Thank you for doing the show. And I will have us end with letting out a deep breath. So inhale. Exhale, let it out. (sighs) Thank you so much, Ash. Thank you. That's my episode with Ashley. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy you're here. If you want to know more about me and my work, the links will be in the show notes, but I would love to connect with you more. We have an Instagram for the podcast. It's at let it out with three T's. I would love for you to follow there and you'll hear about new episodes and themes that we discuss on these episodes and whatever else we end up sharing. A lot of the guests end up doing takeovers of that Instagram so you can connect with them more. And I will give you an emoji at the very end that you can comment on my Instagram. I'm at Katie Dilbow and at Ashley to let us know you're listening all the way to the end. It helps so much if you support the sponsors to help me to be able to keep doing this. And if you would like the show notes or a brief email from me with my musings, what I'm learning, what I'm liking, if you would like that sent to your inbox, the link is in the show notes to sign up for the Let It Out letter. It comes every week or so, and I would love to connect with you over email. So that link is there. Follow us on Instagram. 
I will talk to you next week with a brand new episode. And also my second podcast, which is a mental health show about anxiety that I co-host with my friend Serena Wolf is in season. We just released the first two episodes last week and this week, and another one will be coming out next week. So I would love for you to check it out if you haven't already. Subscribe to both shows. And it really does help if you leave a, a rating and review. I haven't asked for that in I feel like a couple of years. So I'll just put that here. Thank you again for being here. It means so, so much. The emoji for this week's episode is whatever the most businessy emoji you can find. Is there someone maybe wearing like a pantsuit? We talk a lot about jobs and applying for jobs and careers. So I think that might be an interesting emoji. I'll let you be creative with that. Comment it on my Instagram, on Ashley's Instagram. Tag us. Let us know you listened all the way to the end. And I will talk to you next week. Love you. Bye. Bye.